essentially by eating chocolate, we are all by and large, um, and you know, there are of course exceptions to this that there are great independent chocolate producers but what we call big choc the way that that very large scale chocolate is produced is devastating for the planet um, and really terrible devastating for for many many people in in those countries that was the voice of dr johnny drain founder of win-win food labs a team of scientists and foodies who are focused on creating tasty, sustainable and ethical alternatives to unsustainable and ethically dubious foods. And yes, in that clip, Johnny was explaining just how bad some kinds of chocolate can be for both the environment and its societal impact. However, WinWin is hoping to change all of that with their first product, currently in prototype stage, a zero cacao chocolate bar created from alternative plant-based ingredients. They're part of a small but growing movement called Alt Choc. There's a few other people in this, what we call alt-choc space. So there's us in the UK, there's a company called COA, QOA in Germany, and there's two in America, one called Cali Cultured and one called Voyage Foods. And we think there's probably a couple of other people working on it in stealth mode. We're just playing our cards as close to our chest as possible until we release, which will be in only about two or three months time. We've seen alternatives to meat and dairy products on the market for many years now and the embracing of plant-based meat alternatives have skyrocketed in the past few years. It is inevitable that this combination of culinary skills and scientific knowledge will play out across the food and drink space. And WinWin is just one of the many new and exciting brands trying to carve out a space in this growing market. Joining myself and Johnny to discuss this trend in food and drink is WGSN's Head of Food and Drink, Jen Creevy, and together we will discuss the consumer's growing awareness of the ethics of our food supply chains the power of fermentation in the latest plant-based foods, and what products Win-Win could be planning next. But first I wanted to get to the bottom of Dr. Johnny Drain's given nickname, the Walter White of fermentation. Let's, Let's go with this Walter White of fermentation. Who coined this amazing label that has been given to you and and why? Well, you know now, I actually can't quite remember but I, I think I either did it myself or somebody flagged it up in a conversation. I was like, oh, uh, that's quite that's quite snappy. I'll, I'll you know, I'll pinch that. But I genuinely now cannot cannot recall whether it was myself because I do write down a lot of things like that. And I quite like um, a pithy epithet. Do you do you have it printed on a business card anywhere? That's what I want to know. I don't. I think I, I, ha- I haven't had any new business cards printed in a long while. It's not very. It's not very sustainable, is it? Like we don't. We don't need. We don't need cardboard and things being being used for business cards in your in, in your virtual business card in your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I might change it now. I'm I'm focusing more on chocolate. I might change it from one WW to another to Willy Wonka. Um, but people <laughs> people like the Walter White and. Um, yeah, I guess everybody kind of knows what I'm trying to get at there, which is how do you take science and do um, cool things with it, I suppose. So tell me so tell me a little bit about your company, WinWin. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, so it's it's written WNWN. We we say win-win, but about 50% of people slightly embarrassingly just read it out as WNWN. So you're one of the good 50%. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. So it stands for Waste Not Want Not. And basically, you know, we, we, well, 
fundamentally, I'm a food lover, and as is my my co-founder, who's an, an amazing lady called Aaron Pack. She comes from a, a background in finance and banking, whereas I was a scientist, and for the last whatever five, 10 years I've been working in food, but lots of our favorite foods. And when I say our, I mean your favorite foods and the world's favorite foods are really terrible for the planet and the people. So they're often unsustainable and often really unethical. Um, so we're trying to make alternatives to our favorite foods that are sustainable and are ethical. And we're starting with chocolate. I'm Kala Bazashi, CEO of WGSN, and you're listening to Create Tomorrow. I'm speaking to Dr. Johnny Drain, the so-called Walter White of fermentation. I wanted to find out just how much of an impact the aptly dubbed big chocolate industry is having, both environmentally and societally. So I love chocolate. So I'm not could you know couldn't give two hoots about sweets, about cakes, about biscuits, but give me a big bar of dark chocolate. The darker better. I'm 85%, I'm pretty happy there. Um, are you telling me that I am I'm doing my bit to wreck the world by eating the amount of chocolate that I do at the moment? And how how if that is the case, may I reverse my personal trend and impact? Well, unfortunately, yes, is is the short answer. I mean, I'm a I'm a big chocolate fan as well. I grew up in Birmingham within sort of smelling distance, more or less, of the Cadbury's chocolate factory. So um, you know, I, I sort of bleed uh bleed dairy milk. Um so I mean, the good thing about your choice is that dark chocolate is probably fractionally better for the planet um, than milk chocolate. And that's because of the the milk component in uh, in milk chocolate. But essentially, when you look at how chocolate is produced, firstly, um, about 75 percent of chocolate is produced in just two countries, Ghana and the Ivory Coast. And within certainly those two countries, there's a lot of slave labor. There's a lot of child labor. So maybe um, conservatively, um, a million children and working in cacao farms. And the way that cacao has been grown uh, currently is leading to lots of deforestation, which causes lots of carbon emissions. So essentially, by eating chocolate, we are all, by and large, um, and you know, there are, of course, exceptions to this that there are great independent chocolate producers but what we call big choc the way that 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 very large-scale chocolate is produced is devastating for the planet um, and really terrible devastating for for many many people um in in those countries jen just bring you into the conversation here where do you think the consumer is on this journey at the moment so i think myself has fairly switched on you would hope so given the job i do um, and I think, you know, I, I don't eat dairy products. I don't eat meat. We're really conscious about packaging, things like that. This feels like maybe a bit of a blind spot for consumers. I am I, I do consciously choose the chocolate brands that I go for, but the deforestation side of it, I think I'm, I'm far less educated about. So where's the consumer in all this? So I think the ethical challenges that Johnny was just talking about, so things like child labour, have been around for years, haven't they, Johnny? Absolute years. But consumers just haven't been that aware yeah. of them. So I think, to be honest, with the issues around climate change and sustainability and chocolate being one of those 
products that we are aware that you know we we might not have because of climate change i think that is that is growing awareness of the other problems as well with chocolate so i agree with you it's not widespread at all but i think some of the brands the ones like tony's chocolate only for example are raising awareness of this and i think it's slowly seeping into consumers awareness but you're right it's not there yet does, does chocolate need its kind of Netflix moment in the, you know, cowspiracy and what the health, which I think have been galvanising in terms of changing people's eating behaviour? Is is that what, what's needed next, do you think? I think so. I think it's like uh, it needs the avocado moment, for, for example. So we know, you know, I'm based in London in the UK. We know we shouldn't be flying in avocados from California now. So I think it needs that moment. Absolutely. Um, do you, would you agree, Johnny? Absolutely. And and it is this blind spot. And it's weird how that world, whereas if you look at, um, you know, the, the kind of dairy industry and the meat industry have taken a lot of flack and there's been a lot of, of increased consumer awareness in recent years. But somehow chocolate has just avoided that scrutiny. And I think, well, it's because most almost everyone loves it you don't find that many people that don't like chocolate and actually now now i've started this business i've started meeting a few of them and i'm really super curious when i do meet a person who like either dislikes it or act you sort of actively hates it um that's very fascinating but so i think it's one because it's so beloved um and two because it is this sort of magical you know it has these properties it's quite a magical substance doesn't behave in the way that other foods do like that kind of melting in your mouth and so i think it just occupies this very special place in um people's memories and it's this emotional food you know we lean on it in times of sort of distress if you've had a bad day or a bad week you know you mind or i will I'll speak for myself eat happily 200 grams of chocolate um but we also you know it's a celebratory thing as well we give it on certain celebration days or birthdays etc so it's just it's this weird unique substance so i think it's just the fact that we all love it maybe we've been kidding ourselves that it's it's better than we than it really is this is create tomorrow from wgsn you're listening to a conversation between me carla bazashi wgsn's head of food and drink jen creevy and dr johnny drain founder of win-win food labs having discussed the impact that chocolate can have on the environment i wanted to explore how win-win were creating an ethical alternatives their answer was all in fermentation. Fermentation is a, a big trend that we've been talking about for some years, Jen, isn't it? But we've been talking about, you know, fermentation when it comes to koji and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we called out koji as one of our 2022 trends. Um, And it is moving into the mainstream. Johnny, I know you do lots of work with koji as well. Um, But what we're seeing is it's coming from innovators like Johnny, from innovators like chefs at Michelin star restaurants. And it's now moving into packaged goods as well. So we're seeing it um, really giving lots of that umami deliciousness, um, essentially to plant-based foods, which obviously are are scaling massively. So it's moving from things like um, 11 Madison Park in the the States, the New York restaurant, which is solely plant-based, uses lots of koji for its umami tastings. Um, But it's now coming into packaged foods like um, 
prime roots and making bacon out of koji, which I haven't yet tried, but uh, apparently it's delicious. Um, but other innovators, for example, plant-based tuna and sushi is using koji as well. So we're really seeing it now coming from those high-end chefs and innovators through to more mainstream products. Would you agree, Johnny? Definitely. I mean, so I, my first um, experience with koji was at um, something called the Nordic Food Lab, which was set up by Noma. So it was the sort of lab. It was actually on a boat at the front of the restaurant. So I, I worked there in 2014 and, uh, you know, I'd never heard of koji, never seen it. I drank or eaten things that had been made with it, but I didn't know of the the organism itself. So it's a, it's a fungus um, and it's used to make um, or traditionally was used to make things like in Japan, miso and soy sauce and sake and amazake. But now people are, you know, colliding this this organism with other ingredients to produce all of these um, wonderful new novel flavor profiles and indeed textures. And yeah, as you as you rightly point out, it's moved then from the the domain of these high end Michelin starred restaurants to now consumer products and and yeah, more mainstream. Good. And how does chocolate come into this then, Johnny? Well, so here's the here's the biggest bombshell probably of the whole episode, that chocolate is fermented. I did not know that. <laughs> it takes quite a lot to make me speechless. I had no idea. Yeah, so I mean, there's lots of... The crazy thing about fermentation, which is seen as this sort of new fad, is that most of the world's favourite foods are fermented, and that includes chocolate and coffee, um, as well as obviously all these other stuff, beer, wine, cheese, butter, um, vinegar, um, you know, miso, soy sauce, etc. But yeah, chocolate is fermented. So if you take a, uh, a cacao bean and just roasted it, it wouldn't taste like chocolate. And also if you took a cacao bean but fermented it but didn't roast it, it wouldn't taste like chocolate. So it's that combination of fermenting it and then roasting it that gives us that familiar chocolate profile which actually you know it's not just one chemical compound not just one flavor um, aroma taste compound but probably about 400 to 600 um, flavor compounds in your average bar of chocolate so it's so first of all chocolate is really complex and that's probably why it's so beguiling as well and fascinating but it's also fermented so these microbes what i call my microbial collaborators um, these things that give life to things like sauerkraut that you mentioned or, you know, the humble pint of beer. Um, these are at work and working really hard and indispensable in the formation and production of chocolate. So what are you fermenting to make your new your new version, your new ethical version of chocolate that I can eat on a Friday evening and not feel guilty about uh, my impact on the environment and, and social you know, justice at large? So actually, at the minute, we're not really telling people um, or we're not making it um, wholly um, public. And that's just because um, there's there's a few other people in this what we call alt-choc space. Um, so there's us in the UK. There's a company called COA, QOA, in Germany. And there's two in America, one called Cali Cultured and one called Voyage Foods. And we think there's probably a couple of other people working on it in stealth mode. That's what financing people call it in the tech world, stealth mode. So we're just playing our cards as close to our chest as possible until we release, which will be in only about two or three months time. So I will tell you then. But what I can tell you is 
all, all four of those companies, we have slightly different approaches, but we're using stuff that you might have already eaten today, stuff that everybody um, in Britain or America or even Central America or South America or Asia or Africa would be familiar with. And it's plant-based ingredients. And although I am a, you know, I am a scientist, and I do have a lab coat and I do actually have a pair of lab glasses. It's not me in my workshop with a pipette you know, perpetuating tiny amounts of things. We are, you know, we take in sort of dry goods and we carry out these fermentation processes in a very sort of wholesome, naturalistic way. Um, and I suppose the unique thing about what, when we're doing um, in juxtaposition to our sort of alt-choc competitors is that we're leaning very strongly into very old school fermentation techniques. So, um, yeah, techniques that have been around for many, many hundreds of years, whereas some of the others are doing things that would be deemed, I guess, a bit more whiz-bang, a bit more cutting edge. But actually, the the kind of heart and soul of what we're doing is that it's quite sort of um, old school. Old school. I love it. Alt-choc. That's a new phrase that I've learned today. Um, uh, and old school fermentation. You're listening to Crate Tomorrow. We're talking to Dr. Johnny Drain about non-cacao plant-based chocolate. As the saying goes, the proof is in the pudding, and our head of food and drink, Jen Creevy, managed to get her hands on an early prototype of Win-Win's chocolate bar, so inevitably I was desperate to find out, did it taste anything like a real thing? Obviously, I've got Johnny on the line, so I have to be complimentary here. <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. So I was the oh, I was the first batch of testers. So I think there's another batch going out next week, isn't there, Johnny? But to be honest, I mean, I love chocolate too. I'm, I'm I like dark chocolate like yourself, Carla. Um, I was surprised that it even tasted like chocolate. To be honest, knowing that there was no cacao, so it was. Um, I was saying to Johnny earlier, there are a few. Um, background tastes that I wouldn't necessarily choose with my chocolate but so things like it was a little too malty um, but then it came in with some nice um, prune and cherry and fruit flavours. Oh I and love then, cherry and dark chocolate. Yeah I, I did like the fruit and then it sort of ended a little bit more woody and a bit hay like so, and I think to be honest people will probably taste lots of different things in it it's it's very personal isn't it. But the overwhelming feeling was that it was chocolate. And that was like outstanding, I thought. You know, for a first prototype, absolutely amazing. I really was blown away. Okay, Johnny, I want you I want to be on your next round of testers, okay? I'm putting my hand up for that for that right now. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so uh, you know, as Jen said, well, there's an adage in the startup world that if you've um if you're if you're ready and happy with your product, you've waited too long to um to release the prototype. So we definitely and look, you know, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. I've worked in lots of Michelin star restaurants and have that. You know, I hate letting something go out um, that's that that I'm not personally happy with. So I, I we sent out that first batch against all of my sort of um, worldly impulses and urges, but we had to do it. And yeah, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive and the, the things that people were not were not so sure about we've um, integrated and we've um, got a second prototype out which actually we were producing this week and it will go out on Monday to about 100, uh, 200 people this time so yeah we were happy with the, the response it's been great and what are you coming after next so what in my pantry fridge kitchen cupboards are you, are you coming after next yeah no, nothing is safe um I mean 
as I think, you know, Jen alluded to, we've, we're now seeing like alt, not just alt meat and alt um, dairy, but alt seafood and various other things. But within our sphere, um, certainly coffee, which also has, you know, is problematic in, in most of the same ways that the chocolate is, to be perfectly honest. Um, other things further down the line would be things like vanilla um, or saffron. Um, but to be honest, I think even with chocolate, we've kind of got our work cut out. That's like a, a you know, a five to 10 year project. Um, but we want, you know, I mean, I'm a tinkerer and I'm of a, a, a very curious mind. So I suppose my ambition is that we or I set this company up and then the chocolate thing does its own thing. And then on the side, I'm sort of beavering away. Yeah. In other people's fridges thinking, what can I, you know, what can we make better um, if necessary next? Now, while, while we're talking about, you know, these big topics in food, we, we sort of would be remiss not to talk about food waste, which is such a huge issue at the moment. And I do think has reached that kind of mass acknowledgement that we throw away way too much food um can you tell me a little bit about cub cave yeah so the cub cave was a an r&d facility that we set up i think in 2018 definitely a few three or four years ago now and it was beneath um what then was a, a restaurant called cub which was set up by a guy called mr lion um who is a sort of drinks whiz guru all around sort of genius wonderful person um and also in partnership with a guy called Douglas McMaster, who's the chef of um, Silo, which is arguably the world's first zero waste restaurant. So they got me on board. I've worked actually for a long time with with Ryan and and his sort of team and, and company. But the idea was that restaurants, you know, restaurants produce a lot of waste. And they also, especially the higher end you go, luxury restaurants produce, they just throw away a lot of stuff. So when you, you know, you have this pick this plate of beautiful food um normally it's these perfect um perfect shapes uh because somebody's you know chopped half of it off and thrown it in the bin and when i first worked at a mission star restaurant which was like after i'd done my phd probably 2014 um i was just shocked that they were throwing all of this amazing like venison in the bin and um you know it's like why are you you know why are you doing that is does someone not want to eat it and they were like you know it's just how it works so um, food waste has, has long been a yeah an interest of mine, and then I guess I connected with Doug um, through this project. But the idea was, can we create a facility where we use science smarts and fermentation to um, upcycle some of those things that might otherwise get thrown away? So, for example, a really simple example is if you're serving fresh bread, um, even if you're very good at like figuring out how many loaves of bread you need every day, there will be bread that that doesn't that the customers don't eat and goes stale and you know, of course, the staff might eat it the next day, but staff can't eat bread every day. So there will always be some leftover bread. So we would store this up and then actually grow koji on it or grow koji on some rice and then basically make a, a sourdough miso out of the, the waste bread. And that has, you know, making a really good quality bread from Dusty Knuckle or e, E5 Bakehouse. I can't remember who the supplier was in those days, but um you know, it's really top quality, delicious bread. And you get this miso, um, which is really carrot, butter scotchy, absolutely delicious. And then that would then 
I would work with the chefs and the bartenders to then develop drinks or dishes using those upcycled ingredients. So it was about closing the loop is what was the phrase we use. So creating a closed loop system within within the restaurant so that less stuff either gets discarded or ends up going to compost. Jen, Jen do you think this is, is this a trend or do you think this is, uh, you know, a kind of way of, uh, a way of working, a way of life that's here to stay? So I think... Um... The upcycling that restaurants like Silo um, are doing is is incredible. And also there's lots of small innovator brands that you, you will have seen using um, upcycled fruit pulp, things like that. But I think the, the amazing thing is that this is scaling up hugely. So there are really big companies like... Um, Evergreen in the States, for example, and they're using upcycled barley rice protein for supplements, shakes, things like that. And they're getting investment from the huge food companies as well. So it it started as a a little trend. And also it's a sort of selling point, isn't it, for your restaurant if you are zero waste. And and thankfully, there are a lot more um, zero waste restaurants now. But I think the fact that it's scalable means that it is here to stay. And one of the interesting things is that now it's also going cross vertical. So other industries are coming in and starting to use some of the food waste, for example, fashion um, for sustainable dyes, for example, being used out of food waste. So I think as long as those things keep going, I think it will help some of the problems that we've got around food waste. It has been absolutely fascinating talking to both of you, Johnny. I am um, I'm going to send you my address straight after this because I want to try some of this chocolate. Um, but I'm it, it's um, it's really exciting to see individuals like yourself in this industry pushing it forward, um, educating people like myself. But you know that that kind of wider lovers of food but we all consume food in some shape or form and let's let's face it many many of us consume chocolate but coffee and and those kind of you know the the essentials uh, that are in our store cupboards so to know that we could be doing that in the future and having a more positive impact on the world around us I think is it's a it's a nice positive message uh, in these very turbulent times so thank you so much for your time today and look forward to talking to you again in the future when you know the next version of this is is ready or, or the next the next part of my store cupboard is in your sights and what you're going to come up uh, with it to, to challenge all of our taste buds but also you know challenge the way we think about what we're putting in our mouths thanks so much for having you well yeah we look forward to uh, to getting some chocolate into your uh, into your your cupboard soon Thank you to my guests this week, Jen Creevy and Johnny Drain. I'm going to be eagerly awaiting my own batch of win-win chocolate to test out. If you're a WGSN subscriber, you can find many reports covering plant-based food alternatives and the latest trends and developments in food and drink across all our platforms. If you want to find out how to subscribe, head over to WGSN.com to discover how you can get access to our service. We're constantly publishing new content focusing on how we can design a brighter, better future for our industries, including food and drink, beauty, interiors, fashion, and consumer tech. You can subscribe to this platform on all major platforms. And if you like what you've heard, why not give us a rating and review? That just leaves me to thank our producer, Roland Bodenham, and again, thank our guest, Dr. Johnny Drain, for speaking with us today. Thank you for listening. Please stay well and healthy, and we'll see you next time.